We'll be reading from two passages today. Um, so you may want to stick your finger in the Bible in the second one. It's in Philippians chapter 4. That's in page 837 in the Pew Bibles, if you're using the Pew Bibles. Uh, Philippians 4, it's on page 832. That comes after the Matthew passage, which is on page 685. So you can keep one finger in 832 and flip the other way back to 685 for Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. <clears throat> Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And now if you turn back to Philippians 4, verse 6, page 832. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, we ask that you will help us to keep in mind that it is your kingdom and your righteousness that needs to be our first priority, our first concern, nothing that we need to try hardest to, 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 with your help to achieve. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit will be, be with Dr. Creighton this morning as he speaks to us and that he'll bring the message that you've laid on his heart for us uh, clearly, and the Holy Spirit will also help us to understand and, uh, and gain wisdom from the teaching of your word, proclamation of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Ron. So this is the picture that Mark was referring to, our friend Alfred E. Newman, the irreverent host of Mad Magazine, and his classic phrase, what, me worry? <clears throat> In my case, the answer is a resounding yes, me worry a lot. Um, and we'll talk a bit about that. So I also just want to give a disclaimer. Uh, Ron introduced me as a doctor, and I'm here today as a patient, uh, not as a doctor. Um, and so none of this is intended to be construed as medical advice. This is spiritual advice, looking at the Bible, and the, in this particular case, the teachings of Jesus as it relates to anxiety. Not the teachings of Freud or the teachings of the most recent big pharma advocate. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. But today we're having a, a, a scriptural and spiritual unpacking of anxiety 
and its place in our life. Corrie ten Boom, a woman who could have been quite anxious, harboring Jews from the Nazis, had this really amazing phrase, worry is a cycle of inefficient thoughts whirling around a center of fear. When I ask people how they sleep, almost everybody says, I don't sleep very well. Up at 3 o'clock. We should have a conference call for all of us who are up at 3 o'clock, worrying. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, the little kind of molehills become mountains in our minds. How many of you can relate to that? Many of you are smiling. You're probably like me. You're up at 3 in the morning. What about, what about, what about? I found that a very helpful phrase of hers. Well, worry is not getting better, worry is getting worse, and something seemed to happen in 2008, and virtually all the psychiatric data indicate that worry and depression have been increasing in incidence since 2008. Uh, this is a uh, frequent reason for people attending counseling sessions in United States universities. Now, Dave could probably relate to this with his work on campus and that 50% of people attend for counseling because they're feeling anxious. It's basically an epidemic. Again, the data indicates that it gets worse. In 2008, roughly 15% of people reported regular anxiety, and then about 10 years later, it was much higher, 30%. 60% nearly reported uh, anxiety that was overwhelming in the past year. Difficulty functioning because of depression, again, in about 45% of college students. So we have an epidemic in the young, and it seems to be worse in the young, in uh, those who are, say, under 30. And it's kind of hard to understand why that is. The data, again, if you look at COVID, COVID essentially changed the way we respond to anxiety and, again, increased the incidence of anxiety in our world. I think we can all see many reasons why that would be, but in those between the ages of 18 and 24, close to 60% report symptoms of anxiety. So more than one in two. So I think it's safe to say that we are an anxious people, and especially if you are less than 30, the probability is you're endorsing symptoms of anxiety that have affected you during this pandemic. Seems to be a common question we allow ourselves to answer. If you listen to the CBC in the morning, our dear friend Marcy Marcusa will ask their medical guest or their epidemiological guest or their climate change guest, how worried should we be? And the answer is usually quite worried. How worried should we be about the new variant, about the vaccines not working for that variant? Well, we should be quite worried about that. So COVID magnified this anxious experience that we seem to have, yet Jesus warned that anxiety was a significant risk to the fruitfulness of his believers. In Matthew 13, he told us in the parable of the, the seed, sowing the word of God, that we have one group of people that don't do very well because the devil comes quickly, the raven comes and gets the seed that was thrown upon the road. And we have another group of people that, that the, they have a, a shallow faith, and they're kind of the seed scattered among the rocks. And because of their shallow faith, not much happens in their lives. The, the, the faith is taken away. But to the people at risk of this limited fruitfulness, I would say those of us who are here in the church, 
it talks about the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of this world, linking those two areas, worry and deceitfulness of wealth, and those people are described as becoming unfruitful. The word, the logos, is still in their heart, but things are unfruitful because of worry. So worry can be a real bother for us, those of us who are the Christian people. So I have a confession that I've been really worried about lots of stuff lately. That three in the morning seems to have shifted to one in the morning and can't get back to sleep. And it seems to me it started when a good friend of mine's son died. The son was in his early 30s. Just to have sudden death driving his car down the road while he was at work. And that death caused a spiral of events in our family where there were kind of negative consequences as well that, again, I started worrying about. My lovely wife will tell you that I worry a lot about my health. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I've been worried that I have bowel cancer. I've been worried that my heart's going to go into funny rhythm. And I just seem to be uh, obsessed with some of these worries. I can't seem to get them straight. I've been worried about you, dear old Bethesda. Post-pandemic, what's it going to look like? About the finances? Um, about the homeless incursion into the church and how we can do right by the church and how we can do right by that poor homeless couple that's in the bus shelter right now. Bruce and I shared a, an embrace with him just last week uh, and it was a very moving time to, to talk to them about their faith in God uh, and how they're processing the difficult world they live in. I've been worried about Padre's health. He looks pretty good today. Maybe he's fooling us. But we worry about those things, right? Uh, it, these things kind of get, get in our heads. Uh, my little person I live with had a little health scare recently, and that's not Eddie the cat, but I won't tell you who it is. Uh, but that's caused me to worry. Been worried about human resource issues at work uh, uh, and system-wide issues, worried about my patients. Uh, people can't get into emergency rooms. It's a gong show. They can't get surgeries for their problems. We can't get investigative tests. It's hard. You worry a lot about folks. I've got a new worry. I'm worried about Forward House, this place where about 20 men live who are out of jail or out of addiction and trying to live clean and sober, have mental health issues, and they may have no place to live within the year. I'm worried about that. I'm worried about Salome Mission with the pandemic of homelessness and what seems to be happening there. Uh, as I walked out of there on Friday, looking at people who were so lost, so tortured by mental health issues and so tortured by addiction. Yeah, let's get worried about it, right? I've been worried about Q and N and E and S and what's happening to them wherever they are and their persecuted lives and when can they get here? And many of you have probably been letting your hopes and prayers nudge into worry every now and then. So into this crazy plate of worry, I had a little gift. And the gift was in kind of a trifecta, I would say. So part of it was Rick Warren. And, and Rick is a guy like me. He loves acronyms. And he loves having things that all start with the same letter. Um, and he's written the best-selling book next to the Bible, uh, The Purpose Driven Life. And so he has a podcast, and it's about a 20-minute long podcast. And so I listen to that podcast basically every morning when I drive to work. 
And it's a great way of having a little sermon just before you go to work. I really have quite, quite enjoyed it. And he had this wonderful series on anxiety, and it really, really helped me. And if you see those scrollings just to the other side of Rick Warren there, that's from John Piper. And Piper has these great little tendency. He'll go online, put a Bible verse up, and then kind of circle the meanings and write points down. It's a really helpful way of getting information about Scripture. It was super helpful to me, his unpacking of our Scripture today, uh, the Matthew 6 passage that Ron read for us. And thanks for reading that, Ron. And then I've been really blessed by this crazy series called The Chosen. And I'm not sure if you've watched it, but I, I would endorse it to you. Um, and it's a beautiful unfolding of Jesus and his disciples kind of looked at from a bit of a different perspective. They've had over uh, 400 million views of this worldwide. So if you're a Christian person looking for something good to consume uh, on your electronics, I would suggest The Chosen to you. And as we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, they have this beautiful interaction between Matthew, and Matthew is portrayed as a, a person who probably has, he's on the spectrum, you might say. He's, he's kind of an unusual fellow, and he's keeping notes, and he, he might be a little autistic in their presentation of him, very detailed-oriented, and kind of looks at Jesus very quizzically. And he and Jesus are rehearsing the Sermon on the Mount. They're trying to get the order just right. It's absolutely delightful, but it almost makes you cry when you see Jesus look at Matthew and say, blessed are you when they say all kinds of evil against you and when they persecute you. And Matthew's writing it down, and he doesn't have a clue what it means, but it's for his heart. And the hearts of all of us who may feel persecuted as a result of our faith. So the Sermon on the Mount uh, is this place where Jesus teaches some amazing things. And one of the amazing things he taught us was about worry. So in Matthew 6, towards the end of the passage, he gives us this idea about anxiety. And it calls into question, why would God ever say to us that you shouldn't worry? Shouldn't I worry about all that stuff? Shouldn't we worry about the finances in Siloam and Forward House and poor old Joseph out there in that bus shelter? Shouldn't I worry about my health? Shouldn't I be concerned about these things? Shouldn't I be worried about my family and where they're going and the kids are staying out too late? Should I be worried about all that stuff? The master of the universe, the, he who holds it all together said no. He said don't. I don't think we understand how good God is. And when, when we worry, it's basically saying, God, I don't trust you. And I'm ashamed that that's what I've been saying lately in my heart. God, I don't trust you. So we go back to the other famous psalm, not 103, but 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So let's look at this wonderful passage from the Sermon on the Mount. And I have a question for you. It's a hint. What do you think the key message is here? <laughs> this is where highlighters are of great value. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Why do you worry? 
We'll go through each of these passages together. It conjures up this idea of prayer or panic. And I think we far too often camp out in panic, not in prayer. It's pretty clear from the passage that Ron read, and we'll go through together, God doesn't want me to worry about anything. In fact, this passage will help us see that the opposite emotion of anxiety is what God wants us to feel as we encounter the troubles in our lives. As Yuri said in teaching the kids, in our lives, we will have trouble. But this passage is, but don't worry about them, daughter. Don't worry about them, son. So prayer versus panic. Again, Ron read from Philippians, transcendent peace or worry. Those are our options. And how often do we pick worry? How often do we pick worry? Worry versus faith. Worry versus gratefulness. Worry versus trust. Worry versus worship. How often do we go there? As worry comes in the front door, worship goes out the back door. Let's turn that around. Let's have worship come in the front door and kick worry out the back door. I could be American and say, do I have an amen? There you go, brother. So I think this passage from the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount will show us that worry is unreasonable. It's unnatural. It's unhelpful. It's unnecessary. In fact, it's unfaithful. It's unbelief. And it's unholy. And thanks to Rick Warren for all the you words. <laughs> Pat can remember that too. So worry is unreasonable or it's irrational. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Now we here in 2023, I think we take this as what I'm going to wear. Like, does it matter if I wear a jacket or a sweater? I think the concerns in Jesus' day were existential. It's whether I will have something to wear or whether I will have something to eat. Those concerns were much worse. Again, the pastors always tell you that when you see therefore in Scripture, it's there for a reason and it's therefore you should be looking at, it, at what comes above that. And what comes above that in, in verses 24 is that we, this is tied to money. It's tied to the tension around serving two masters. And so I think we often worry about, do I am I going to have enough? Am I going to have enough? And you can meet really rich people that are worried if they have enough. It's crazy. But there's a tension there. And it's this calling us to this idea that God wants us to be concerned with the eternal. Not with the ephemeral. Not with the here and now. We can trust him for both. He does not want us to be concerned with my clothes, with my food. He says, I have your back. Worry is unnatural. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I remember a, pastor of, uh, a, a sermon of Pastor Bill's many years ago where he made the observation that the birds work hard. 
They're not sitting there lying on their backs and magical things dropping in their mouths. If you watch birds, they're working all day long, feeding themselves. Uh, we live with deer, and the deer are eating all the time, searching for food. So there's provision, but they still have to work. They just don't have to worry. We don't have to worry. Birds don't worry, but our Heavenly Father, it's our Heavenly Father, not their Heavenly Father. It's interesting, right? Our Heavenly Father feeds the birds. And it's a beautiful image. I saw a little bird kind of almost crashing up against the window, and it reminded me, when I see birds, I just think of this, God's got their back. It's a good thing to think about. It really is the only humans that don't trust God or worry about tomorrow. Animals aren't worried about tomorrow. They just aren't. They don't have a concept of tomorrow. We worry about tomorrow all the time. We can unlearn that. We can unlearn that. Worry is unhelpful. And this great saying, worry does not take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. Again, I think we deserve an amen for that. Thank you. This is kind of fun. <laughs> This is the simplest point that Jesus has to make. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Worry doesn't accomplish anything productive, but it has a lot of negative ramifications. It doesn't affect the outcome. Rick Warren says it's doing without doing. Nothing is getting better. It can make you miserable. I've had several nights lately where I, I wake up at 1 and I can't get back to sleep. The next day, you feel awful. Your heart feels vulnerable. Worry can make you miserable without affecting anything positive. Proverbs 12.25 captures this sentiment really nicely. It says, anxiety weighs down the heart. But a kind word cheers it up. <clears throat> Christian people, be that kind word. Because the, the odds say that 60% of the people under 30 are anxious. Be that kind word. We can't change the past. We can't affect the future. We can sure mess up today. You've heard this saying, I'm worried sick? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Worry is unnecessary and a manifestation of us being unfaithful. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. God wants us <clears throat> excuse me, to distinguish between the ephemeral and the eternal. And he wants us to be focused on the eternal. A Christian person has trusted Jesus for eternity. You have trusted Jesus to deal with your eternity, but you can't trust him to make a rent payment or a car payment. You can't trust him to help with relationships in your life. 
You can't trust them with who you should marry or what kind of job you should have or where you should go to school. God can worry about eternity, but I'm going to worry about everything else. And it's just kind of silly, isn't it? It's just unnecessary. But this passage ends with, Oh, you of little faith, you and all your worries. And I would say, unfortunately, as a person who's been worried a lot lately, that my worry is inversely proportional to my faith. If I'm saying I'm worried about a lot of things to you and my friends, my faith is in a bit of trouble. It's in a bit of trouble. Let's help each other with that. Worry is not just unnecessary and a manifestation of being unfaithful. It's probably evidence of unbelief and a, and a tendency to being unholy. From verse 31, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So the pagan is the unbeliever. It's the Gentile. So when we act in a way that shows anxiety and worry, we are acting like a person who does not know God, a person who is an orphan, not trusting our Heavenly Father. There are 3,000 promises in Scripture about God helping to meet our needs, and I choose to believe none of them. None of them. How can that happen? So again, this puts us into a different cognitive behavioral framework. Don't think about the worry. Prioritize seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. How am I pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness? Saying it even more forcefully, a person who's consumed with worry, it's, it's essentially practical atheism. It's harmful to us. It's harmful to our witness. It says, I don't have a good God who wants to meet my needs. Conversely, we very often say, things are going too good. I've said this many times in my life. Things are going too good. Something bound, bad is bound to happen. Right? Padre's laughing at that. Worry is untimely. It's also uninformed. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why does God say this? Don't worry about tomorrow. Because it's good advice not to worry about tomorrow. Because we can't affect the outcome. We've talked about that. And I can ruin today worried about tomorrow and nothing bad is going to happen tomorrow, but I ruined today because I was so worried about it. I can't solve tomorrow's problems today. I just can't. But this teaching is helpful. As Yuri said, this says there will be trouble tomorrow. I don't have to have a hissy fit when there's trouble tomorrow. I really should anticipate it. Jesus himself, John 16, 33. I think one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So this saying, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, isn't you won't have troubles. The promise is clear. We will. We will have trouble. Matthew 6, John 16, there are other scriptures. But we can take heart, for Jesus has overcome the world. This is not a medical prescription, even though I kind of like that RX there, the stethoscope. It's just, I had to deviate a little bit. But we're going to go through God's prescription for worry and anxiety. I think the first part of the prescription is trust. Trust God. Trust your Father in heaven. He loves you. He loves you. Have faith in him. Don't be surprised when you have troubles. You will. Believe in God to meet your needs, like the birds. But you'll have to do your part. You'll have to go to those places to get that food. You'll have to do your part. It's not about just others giving it all to you. And ultimately, I think the answer is prayer. Praying to God. And we'll talk about how that looks. So this fundamental question about how much do I trust God. So four things. Let's look at four things. <clears throat> Psalm 23. Again, I would commend Rick Warren's podcast on Psalm 23 kind of from the beginning of January to the end of January. Beautiful teachings on Psalm 23. It's really quite remarkable. But this, this simple beginning statement that so many of you know, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. Say it over and over and over again. The Lord is my shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He feeds, he protects, he leads, meets needs. And the word shepherd is the same word as pastor. And we have at least two of them, maybe three of them here today. The Lord is my shepherd. Say it over and over. Give Jesus every aspect of your life. Open the door to every part of your life to Jesus. Nothing is too small. This idea of relaxing a little bit. Turn the volume down with your emotional intensity. And giving these things to Jesus. We'll look at some good scripture for that in a minute. Trusting Jesus one day at a time. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Don't you just love that picture? Now, we have this amazing cat named Eddie, the Norwegian forest cat that got abandoned and is now in our lives. And he, he spends most of his days on Kate's shoulders like that. He just loves there. Every, as soon as you walk in, Eddie jumps on your shoulders. Super cute cat. So it does remind me a bit of Eddie. But look at that beautiful idea of Jesus holding the sheep and leading the sheep. And I like this one even better, this idea of Jesus being the gate. So saying this out loud, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, over and over again. Psalm 28, 8 and 9, the Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them on forever. And then John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And it's a great word picture of his ability to support and protect his flock. 
John 10, verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And literally, the shepherd became the gate, sat in the opening where the sheep were enclosed. This beautiful picture. So truly a gate, a gate of protection in and out. All, you have come, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. Jesus goes on. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, to protect his sheep. A beautiful image. So we need to give Jesus the, every first place in our life, all areas of my life. I had a story uh, from a doctor I worked with this week, and he talked about his young daughter, who's about two, getting upset, having a bit of a night terror, and kind of crawling into bed for comfort. And he said while it was kind of sad that she was so upset, he was so happy to be able to cuddle with her and spend the rest of the night with her. And God wants us to come to him in our distress. That, that kind of beautiful image. And it's, he wants that to happen. We need to give God this ability to look after our lives and even our aspirations and realize that our needs can increase our trust. So that when I do have a problem and trouble, and it appears that God solves that problem, I now trust even more. We have a very tangible example of that here at Bethesda. So about a year ago, we committed to bring 10 people from Afghanistan to Bethesda. And we committed to about a third of our annual budget to bring those people here. And that was a big step for us. And within the week, we get a phone call from a person who says, basically, I'm going to meet half of that for you. Do you think that need didn't make us think, oh my goodness, the Lord is in this? And how good we would feel, how the need expressed, solved, trust. So we will have needs, and it helps to build our trust. So we do need to acknowledge that when we worry, it's like a warning light in our minds. God's not going to be there. God's not going to be there. So another part of the prescription is write down your worries and give them to God. Do that this week. Write down what you're worried about and give it to God. This comes directly from 1 Peter 5. You also need to acknowledge that you're in a spiritual battle with this. 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We're all up at three in the morning with our anxiety. Write it down, give it to God. That's what we're told to do here. 
cast our anxiety on him and realize that maybe my spirit's being provoked by an enemy. Yeah, Neil, be anxious. Worry about your health. Nothing's good going to happen. Worry about forward house. It's going down. 20 guys, no good. Wow. No, Lord, that's a spiritual battle. I'm fighting back. I'm casting that on you. I'm going to trust you. We're going to trust you for the people of Forward House. We're going to trust you for those Afghanistan people. We're going to trust you for Bethesda Church. We're going to trust you for the Padres' health. We're going to trust you. The last solution that God gives us for anxiety is probably the most important. This is a transcendent verse. It says so right in it. Probably the most important. Pray and be grateful. And this is repeated in 1 Thessalonians 5. Be joyful when? Always. Pray when? Always. Be thankful when? Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious about nothing. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. And this is the most beautiful phrase I think I can imagine. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. When you're anxious, you, that's what you feel. I want a guard for my heart and my mind. Heart and my mind. I have this crazy ability. I have this thing in my head. I can hear every one of my heartbeats. It's called pulsatile tinnitus. So I hear every heartbeat. And so when I'm going to sleep, I hear my heartbeats, and I know if it's getting irregular, and I get panicked, and as I get more anxious, it goes faster, and I hear it going faster. It's kind of a tough thing for me to master. So I have fans and earplugs, and it's a gong show. It's this panic-prey reflex, and I seem to be doing it more and more. And as 1 Peter 5 says, I've been saying this out loud, I am praying that this anxiety leaves me. I need the peace of God that transcends my understanding right now. And I think many of you probably think the same thing. Even under stress, we're supposed to present this thankfully. With thanksgiving. It's a crazy part of this verse. With thanksgiving. I can be at peace when I shouldn't be because I have problems, but God told me I was going to have problems. So they're okay. Work them out with his strength. Be strong. Maybe we're here to solve problems. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do through his strength for each other, for the people outside in the bus shelter, for the people at Forward House, for the people at Bethesda, for the people in Afghanistan, for the people at Siloam, for each other. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Say it over together with me. The Lord is my shepherd. Amen, Pat. Peace in the middle of this chaos. So, again, God doesn't say that we will have no problems. He just says, I've got your back. He says, I've got your back. This has been me lately. 
where he has been outweighing worship. And I'm sorry, it's a confession, it's an apology, but it's my reality right now. And meditating on this stuff lately has been so helpful for me in trying to write this balance. Trying to write this balance. And I can't tell you that I have no worries, but I can tell you that I'm learning that I need to realize I'll have trouble, you'll have trouble, we'll have trouble, but we needn't fret, go to anxiety, go to worry. We need to go to our knees and pray. We need to pursue his kingdom. We need to pursue righteousness. And then I wonder whether we can have this beautiful saying, whether we can turn our worry into worship and watch God turn our battles into blessings. I've just become a part of this organization, Forward House, recently, and um, there was all kinds of trouble uh, just about a month ago, and then through Mission Fest, there were all kinds of wonderful things that were given to Forward House, a whole bunch of reasons for uh, optimism. There's still a big journey there, but it's like need, oh, I can trust. And so we will be a people of need, and we are a people of need, and it's my hope that we can be a people of trust. And I'm saying this to myself, I think more than I'm saying it to you. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to offer my solemn apology for letting worry get the best of me lately. And that it represents a lack of trust, a lack of faith, a lack of worship, a lack of gratefulness, and certainly a lack of that transcendent peace you promise. I pray for my brothers and sisters and my fellow travelers here that anybody is in the same predicament, that we will be encouraged by this beautiful teaching from the Sermon on the Mount and from the book of Philippians that helps put things into perspective, that you have got the eternal and don't want us to be consumed with the ephemeral, that you want us to pray with thanksgiving and have guarded hearts full of peace. Lord, I pray these people here will have guarded hearts full of peace, a genuine fruit of the Spirit. We thank you for this, Jesus. Amen.